Micah chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. What misery is mine? I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. There is no cluster of grapes to eat, none of the early figs that I crave. The faithful have been swept from the land. Not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets. Both hands are skilled at doing evil. The ruler demands gifts. The judge accepts bribes. The powerful dictate what they desire. They all conspire together. The best of them is like a briar. The most upright, worse than a thorn hedge. The day God visits you has come. The day your watchmen sound the alarm. Now is the time of your confusion. Do not trust a neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with the woman who lies in your embrace, guard the words of your lips. For a son dishonors his father. A daughter rises up against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. Good morning. It's great to be with you. Let's open in prayer today. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for Micah, even though his words were written down and recorded so many years ago. May they be pertinent to us today. May we hear your voice speaking to us. Speak through my words too, Father. May you bring out your perfect text. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with a story from the past. It was at the wedding, but after the ceremony, in the midst of the reception, the speeches had been given, the toasts had been made, the cake had been cut, and I saw the bride sneak out. I followed because she looked a little disturbed, and I saw her outside in a hallway crying, not just little tears in her eyes, but weeping and sobbing. I knew what it was because about a year earlier, her father had died and she had expected him to walk her down the aisle. In fact, she had expected him to play with her kids. It would be his grandkids. And she was mourning this whole loss. I went over to her and I hugged her like I would a daughter, let her weep until we were both wet with the tears. And then she said something like this, Nope, it's going to be okay. My dad would not want me to cry today. This is my wedding he would want me to celebrate. This is not a time for tears. This is a time for rejoicing. She got back up, wiped the tears away from her eyes, and went in and celebrated the rest of the time. What we have today in the text that was just read is the exact opposite of this. You see, people were celebrating, but Micah is telling them it's a time for weeping and tears. It's not a time to be celebrating. It's a bad time for that. If they celebrate now, their celebration will be short-lived unless they repent and get right with God. And so we'll look at our message, A Time for Tears. It starts out with a lament. And in the lament, it is really a thinly disguised rebuke. It sounds like he's talking about himself. What misery is mine, or more literally from the Hebrew, woe to me, 
Woe to me. In fact, in Hebrew, it sounds more plaintive. Aleli, aleli, aleli. It is a wailing type of sound. But we learn pretty quickly that it's a rebuke because I am in misery because of you. And it's your fault. And so he starts with this lament, but he is definitely going to lay the blame on the leaders of Israel, the religious and political leaders, or at least most of them. And so this is the thinly disguised rebuke. And also we see in this some of Micah's loneliness. Now we know that Isaiah was contemporaneous with large overlap with Micah, and we know they lived in the similar area. But we also know that there were not many other people. We could get Amos, Hosea, a few other people that were faithful, a few religious people, but the vast majority were not faithful to God. And it would have been a very lonely time to be faithful to God, and you would have received constant criticism. And the people who were faithful, they may have seen them killed for their faithfulness, or marginalized, or put into poverty as they lost their positions. And so it was a lonely place. And so he was lamenting the lack of healthy relationships. And he will talk about how he did not have anyone else to commiserate with. Now, mind you, if we look at the rest of Scripture, it's not always as bad as it seems. We go to Elijah, who complained that he was the last prophet. But then God told him, remember, I have 7,000 people who have not bent the knee to the Baals, the other pagan gods. And from that, Elijah would train the next wave of prophets. And so sometimes we need to wake up, and yet we see Micah mourning this, and we can commiserate with him. The first points that Micah makes is talking about different types of people, two types of people, and he starts with the faithful. And the faithful he is going to praise, but there's a problem even with this, because even as he praises and talks of how, how great the faithful are, he is saying they're not around anymore. And we see, I am like one who gathers summer fruit at the gleaning of the vineyard. So it's the harvest time for the grapes, he says. But there's no clusters to eat. Either they've all been picked or it's been a failed crop. And he goes in the time of the figs to be picked, but no figs are left either. Now, by the way, um, if you know the Old Testament law, it was actually illegal to um, pick all of your fruit. You were supposed to be a sloppy um, harvester. You were supposed to leave the edges of your fields for the poor who walk by. And also in the middle, like with figs and with grapes, you're supposed to leave some clusters so the poor people could come and eat. It's an interesting way of doing welfare where you had to sort of earn your food. But they were not doing this. And but yet the fruit is not fruit here. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor for the faithful people who are, as it were, delicious and refreshing. And what we mean by this is it's so great to be around these people. I, I long to be around someone like, who would refresh me like when I want to eat a clump or of gra- a cluster of grapes. And yet he sees the faithful, the fruitful, have been swept from the land Not one upright person remains. Now, yes, there's probably some poetic overstatement here because we know that 
you know, Isaiah was probably still around and not too far away. But it's felt like this many times. And so the faithful, two types of people. And I look to this and I say, what type of person do I want to be? I want to be a faithful person where somebody looks and says, this is refreshing to me. When I'm hungry, it fills my soul. And so I want them to say being around them is great. And yet there's other types of people, aren't there? And the problem is that Micah says there's so few of the refreshing people, the revitalizing people, the invigorating people. And we see the other type. And so the second type are those who are corrupt. All people are created in God's image. And God doesn't create anything bad. It's the perversion, the twisting, the distorting of things that's bad. And so we see the corrupt are those who have been perverted. And he talks about it. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. Yes, I know it's a poetic overstatement to say that almost everyone. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. That doesn't mean everyone was a murderer, but they did things that hurt other people. They hunt each other with nets. They would use nets to catch birds and uh, other small animals on the ground. And what they're really saying is everyone is taking advantage of everyone else. They're setting traps for them. And then notice as we go on, both hands are skilled at doing evil. They're ambidextrous at evil. Now, I had a good friend when I was younger who was a fantastic artist and sculptor, and he was fully ambidextrous. He could write with either hand, and he could sculpt, and he could paint with either hand. Sometimes he had both hands going with paintbrushes in both hands. I have no idea how you do that with your brain. But it was impressive because he was using this talent for good. He was making money off of it because his works were in high demand and he was paid a lot of money for it and he was doing things. I remember the caricatures that he built for the place where we both worked and it made everyone laugh and he was doing it for fun. But these people are skilled, but they're skilled at abuse. You ever hear somebody that said their spiritual gift is the gift of criticism? Um, That's not from the Holy Spirit. But we can get good at these things, can't we? We can get so witty and hurting, and that's problematic. But they were not witty and hurting. They were unjust. They were selfish, and they were good at getting their way, and they're good at winning over you. And so this ensnaring and using their power not to serve and protect, but using their power to get what they wanted. This is a corruption. And the only time they really get along with other people, you see at the end of verse 3, they all conspire together. And so the only time they're really playing well with each other is when they have a plan where they need somebody else to get their way. And Mike is looking out here and he's just shaking his head and he said, I've talked to so many people today. I've reasoned with so many people. I've tried to preach the word of God and all I see is people that shake their head and are corrupt. And it was frustrating for him. And he was still trying to be faithful and he's preaching these messages and they're becoming a part of the Bible eventually. But they're not being received well. And he's not growing a great flock and a huge church as we would in this day. He's gaining a lot of detractors. And he must be frustrated. And so we see as the two types of people. We go on with that. And we see in verse 4, the best of them is like a briar. 
the most upright of the corrupt, by the way, um, are worse than a thorn hedge. Now, notice the contrast here. The faithful, um, the fruitful, are compared to the figs, the ripe figs and the grapes. And the corrupt are compared to a briar and a thorn hedge. I remember a story from when I was in high school. A good friend of mine, his parents had to be away over his birthday, so we were going to surprise him. We weren't punking him, but we were going to sneak into his bedroom and decorate it all up. And we were going to put up pictures that we had processed of him with other people, and, and he was going to be surprised by it. Well, I was one of the people that uh, luckily, in the story, went with him to distract him while we were breaking into his house. You see, he locked the front door, and so we were going to get in because he always left his bedroom window open in the summer, spring, and fall, and uh, so he could get in and out, but that's a whole other story. And so we were going to sneak in. You know, his dad had planted around his house and the backyard in all three corners a thorn hedge, sharp, great big two-inch thorns, and it was almost impermeable. And the guys that had to get in had to get through there, and they got through there, but they had like scars on there and blood and everything to get it done. And I think of that, and you know, they were on a good mission, but these people are always stopping the people who are faithful. They're always blocking, and they're painful. And so we see, how do we want to be again? I want to be someone that is refreshing and fruitful. It causes joy to someone, not one that causes pain. I don't want to be an obstructionist. The only thing I want to stop is evil, but I want to empower people to use their gifts. And so we see the difference, and we can imagine Micah trying to faithfully bring out the word of God and say, this is what the Lord says, and this is what the Old Testament books of the Pentateuch say, and the people did not want to hear it, and they were obstructionists. You know, some people play the, devil, play the devil's advocate in order to think differently and make wise decisions. Well, have you thought about this well? That's, that's valuable. Um, other people do it because they're contrarians or they enjoy blocking. These people were only interested in themselves, and so they blocked other people because everything was a competition. And that was problematic. Now, there were painful consequences. What happens when a whole society gets so selfish Well, we can look to the future, and we've seen in Micah in passages before that what happens is there will be a day when these people answer to God if they don't repent. But he's going to bring out a current consequence here today. And so there is a long-range consequence, and we are told throughout Scripture again and again, the evil don't get away with anything unless they, like me, fall on their face and repent, and then they're given mercy. But barring their repentance and their confession, and in our day trusting in Jesus, they get justice. And justice is not fun for someone who has been unrepentant to get what we deserve. But even in their lives, Mike is arguing that even though it looks like it works because they've got money, and if they're men, they've got women, if they're women, they've got men, and they've got positions of authority, but this is what they don't have. Look at verses 5 And six, his advice to these corrupt leaders who seem to have everything, do not trust your neighbor. Put no confidence in your friend. Even with the woman who lies in your embrace, 
your wife, you go to bed with at night, guard the words of your mouth, of your lips. For a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. You see, it had gotten so corrupt that you could not even trust those closest to you. Even the members of your family and even your lover was out for themselves. And it doesn't work. You see, in God's economy, there's this strange thing that the only way we get fulfilled is by giving of ourselves like Jesus did. When we get for ourselves and we have to push people out of the way, it will never fulfill our souls because we are created in the image of God to be patterned more like Jesus. And so they had everything but no trust. No one they could trust either. You see, not only Micah was in it, but all of these people couldn't even trust the ones next to them and broken relationships. I had a couple of female friends years ago, both fell in love with the same man. Now, of course, one had to win out and marry this man. They all handled it with, you know, very well, um, but it sort of broke their relationship. And they grew distance. They still went to the same church. They still had some of the same friends. And so a few years later, um, they decided to call out the elephant in the room and just to talk about it. And the woman who won the man and married him said, you didn't lose. And sadly said, this marriage is loveless. I can't trust him. He used up my grandparents' inheritance on schemes, and I'm afraid he's going to go to prison because of his business practices. Wow. You win, but you lost. You see, even though this is not a perfect analogy because this was a godly woman who unfortunately married someone who wasn't who he thought he was, even these people that are competing, they often find out that the people that are around them can't be trusted. And there's no fulfillment. And so we come to this conclusion, there's no value in envying the wicked. Certainly not in the future, because they will get what they deserve. And not even now, because even in this broken world, the deepest fulfillment remains for those who walk step in step with God. And I know you're going to fail in doing that, but the ones who get up, repent, and say, I'm coming back to walk step in step in you, that is where fulfillment lies. In faithfulness, and when we're not faithful, in forgiveness, in restoration. So what are we going to do with this message? We went through these points quickly. It's a simple message, but it's so profound. And I had a whole bunch of points, but I left just three, and so you're going to have to add a few more. Number one, if you're grieved or troubled, like Micah was, bring your tears and sorrow to God. Now I'm going to jump out of the passage it was read to the very next verse, because verse one and verse seven form an inclusio, because they're on this, they, one starts off and one ends. He starts out with, woe to me in the very first of verse one, and then in verse seven, but as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my savior, my God will hear me. Hmm. 
So even though it's really in the verse that leads into the next passage that we see this, Micah tells us what to do when we're like him. Go to God when there's no one else. And by the way, I would guess that there probably are more, like Elijah. Most of us are not like Micah. They would be more like Elijah. There are a few other humans we can go to. But go to God and go to those few people who will speak truth and love you. And let your tears be transformed or at least minimized. Secondly, look for someone who needs joy this week. Look for someone who is um, crying physically or figuratively and try to be that refreshment. There are a lot of people going out there with relationships saying, I'm hungry for a cluster of grapes, but there's nothing there. I want a ripe fig. They should be ripe right now and there's nothing there. Be that person to those who are hungry for relationships. And I know with COVID, it's hard to do that, but it's so much even more important now than it is when we're not socially distanced. So find creative ways to connect in this time because people are hurting like never before in relationships. And let's just say a side thing, there are some marriages that are great and you find it in, there's some that are not as great And when you are cooped up sometimes with someone where the relationship is strained, we need to come alongside some of those people who are struggling in those relationships that should be more intimate. Finally, and thirdly and finally, invest in your relationships. Look at your relationships. Um, Let's not get to this place. Let's not let them be selfish. Examine your relationships and see how much of them are about you and how much of them are actually about building a good relationship. Say something positive to a neighbor, a friend, a family member. Invest something in this relationship. But let us be people who listen to God. And if we have not done it before, who receive from God the healing of our relationship between God. Because that's the most important thing, that we heal that gap between us and God. And we recognize that we are sinners, but God still loves us, and he can repair our relationship with God, with whom we are separated. That allows us to have the best relationship. It also allows us to receive the Holy Spirit and have the power to act loving when other people are not loving us. And that power is not a human power. That's a divine power of God in us. And so let's make sure we restore that relationship with God and then take from what God has graciously given to us and pour it out on other people. Let us be positive voice, a positive face, a positive person in a world that is increasingly negative.